are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins and Power to the Pod. It's the people show pertaining to your Miami Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. Managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, and ready to dig in today. Uh, unlike some past episodes of Power to the Pod, in which I still find time to, to get into a topical point pertaining to the Dolphins, I'm going to skip that part today because we have a lot of reviews. We have a lot of mock drafts that were sent in. I have a feeling this show come mid-April is just going to be Kyle Gray, my mock draft. And we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We might have to put a limit on it. But nevertheless, I love hearing from each and every one of you. And I've heard from more of you this week than I have ever heard from you before, which is awesome. Uh, so let's go right into Power to the Bod. Your questions, your topics, starting with iTunes reviews on the show. The first question today comes from Big E. Drafting out of spite. Kyle, love the show. Do you feel that teams sometimes draft players so their rivals don't get them rather than drafting for need or best available? I would say this strategy is pretty unlikely. Uh, I would not rule it out for like late day three selections. Um, but I would say what's more likely is when you are engaged in trade conversations, you're not sure if you're going to pick, you know a team behind you, uh, that you're going to have to contend with uh, has somebody that they have their eyes on. You can kind of crowdsource the, the rest of the league and find out, hey, okay, well, um, division rival is, is picking three spots behind me. I know they're interested in taking a wide receiver. Perhaps when I'm gauging and I get equal values from teams that are kind of in the same area, if I, if I feel like I'm getting equal value, maybe I'll skew more towards the team that is going to possibly take the player that my divisional rival might take. Uh, so I don't I don't think teams will make such significant investments early in the draft based on just keeping them away from other teams. And more often than not, if that does happen, I'm not going to say that never happens, those players probably don't have as good of a chance to have success because you're not drafting them for your own vision for the player. You're drafting them from preventative maintenance in addition by subtraction from somebody else. Brunsfin fan. How likely do you think it is that Gregory Rousseau falls to 18? I could see them pounding the table for him along with Jalen Waddle after how hard they pursued Jadavion Clowney the last few years and with their player development capabilities. Assuming the rest of their day one and two picks are on offense, who could be a day three linebacker to replace Elandon Roberts or would you replace him in free agency? I don't necessarily know if... Everything has to be... I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer to a 50-50 split again. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if you get two defensive players on day one and two combined. I wouldn't be surprised if it's three defensive players just because that's kind of the core identity of this offense, and it depends on where they spend in free agency. But uh, runs your, your root of your question here is regarding Gregory Rousseau. I think it's very possible. I think it's probably likely is how I would classify it at this point in time that Gregory Rousseau is on the board for the Dolphins at 18. And the reason being, he did not play last year. And because he did not play last year, because he was a player that was more raw tools and traits, 
I think in a really good class that you're probably not going to see a defensive player drafted in the top six or in the top five for sure, in my opinion. You'll get two or three quarterbacks depending on what Miami does. I don't think the Falcons are going to take a defensive player, and I think the Bengals are either going to take Jamar Chase or offensive lineman Penny Sewell or Rayshon Slater. Um, so top five, no defensive players. You have a, a very realistic realm of possibility that you get through the top eight with no defensive players. If the Eagles go wide receiver at six, the Lions go wide receiver at seven, and Carolina takes a quarterback at eight. So in the defensive pecking order of who are the good the good prospects defensively, I don't think Gregory Rousseau, because he did not play last year and because he is more raw, toolsy, traitsy, and that's not to say that he can't help himself if he tests well with his pro day uh, and, and comes in at a sturdy weight. And I think if he comes in closer to 275, he'll really move the needle uh, for teams. But, but even still, because he didn't play last year, I would anticipate uh, he will be there uh, because you got the two corners, Pat Sertain and Caleb Farley. You got potentially Micah Parsons. You've got Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. You've got any other defensive end, whether it's Quiddy Pay from Michigan, Jalen Phillips, the other Miami guy who transferred over from UCLA. So I think there's enough guys that can bump them down. Onyx. If we trade down from 18, who is the most likely trade partner and what could we get in return? Also, who would we draft in that new spot? So this is interesting, right? Because we talk so much about the number three pick because it's a premier pick. The draft really starts at this spot unless the Jets go off script and keep Sam Darnold. So in order to get an accurate assessment of who the best trade partners are for 18 the best thing that I always recommend that you do is look at who is immediately behind you and what do they need. So I see two football teams immediately after Miami in Washington and Chicago that need quarterbacks. So if you go through this run, right, say one of the top five guys slips. I anticipate Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields will be gone. If Mac Jones, it turns out right now, all the pomp and circumstance and fanfare, and I know Mike Tannenbaum got on ESPN yesterday and said Mac Jones' floor in the draft is eight. I don't know if I buy it, depending on how the other dominoes go. And if he gets past eight, I don't think San Francisco would take Mac Jones. And they're 12, and they're the next quarterback-hungry team. And then you've got New England at 15. Well, what happens if they trade for, say, Marcus Mariota? And they want to give that a go. Now you're looking at a possibility where Miami could be could be on the board at 18 with Washington and Chicago immediately behind them as two teams that desperately need starting quarterbacks. What about Pittsburgh at 24? You think about their style of play, how much they like to air the ball out down the field. Alabama did a lot of that. I think that could be a fit, doing some business with Pittsburgh. And the good news is the Dolphins did first-round business with Pittsburgh not that long ago. So if you want to go up eight spots, we're just going to use Pittsburgh as the hypothetical here. You could also you know, tap into New Orleans if you wanted to. I don't necessarily think that's super realistic. But if you consult the trade value chart of what it would cost to go up from 24, which is where Pittsburgh pits, to 18, knowing you're jumping two teams for a quarterback, the discrepancy in those points is 160 points. Here's the bad news. 
160 points is equivalency to the 86th overall pick in the NFL draft. The good news is, because you're charging for a quarterback, you might be able to overcharge that. So maybe it's an, it's a you get 55 back from Pittsburgh and you send a day three pick, and you call it even. But that's why so much of the conversation around trading down is at three because you get exponential drop-off as far as the price of picks once you get outside the top 10, top 12. So Miami, yeah, I mean, you, you could potentially add a couple fringe top 100 and day three picks, but you're not going to get the same boom unless it's for a quarterback. SoCal FinFan, uh, love your draft insight. I have a scenario that you have not talked about in detail, so I want to hear your take. I've heard the second-round picks are the best value and can still get very good talent. So if Miami wanted to load up on picks in between 18 and 50, how much can they get by flipping the three-pick into multiple twos and a late one? Um, okay, let, let's do this. Get the trade value chart back out, courtesy of our friends at drafttech.com, nfl-trade-value-chart.asp you want to see what I'm using for yourself. You can put any team in there. It'll highlight who has what. First and foremost, I refer to the middle rounds, rounds two, three, and four in the NFL draft as the money rounds. Uh, the middle rounds are the money rounds. And what I mean by that is that is where great teams divide themselves from good teams, divide themselves from average teams, divide themselves from bad teams as far as finding talent and value in those ranges. So if I'm an objective Dolphins fan, and I'm looking at what the Dolphins did last year, and Robert Hunt was your best rookie offensive lineman, and you got him in round two. And Raquan Davis is a stud nose tackle, and you got him at 56. And Brandon Jones looks like he's going to be a core piece of the secondary. He played really good as, as a, a hybrid safety with a presence in the box. And you got him in the third round, and you got Solomon Kinley, a starting caliber guard, even though he's not a super high ceiling starting caliber guard, but you got him with your first fourth round pick. And you might have walked away in the rounds two, three, and four with four starters, like long potential long-term starters. How do you not get excited about that? And then you get a lottery ticket from 2019 and Andrew Van Ginkle, who looks like it's going to cash in as a, a fifth round pick. I know Michael Dieter didn't really develop to the degree everybody wanted to, uh, but I think he's going to be quality depth for this offensive line for a really long time. I don't think we should turn our nose up at that. So the last two years, like this regime, even the Josh Rosen thing, they flipped that into a future two, which became Raekwon Davis. So I'm not going to sit here and smash the table. And I was excited for the Rosen deal at the time because it was a low-risk lottery ticket, and I thought Rosen had plenty of potential. But it turns out the mental side of the game was something that he really struggled with. Hard to get that from afar. I'll take my L, though. The challenge with this SoCal is you have to find teams that have multiple twos. You have to find teams, because I don't necessarily think Miami, it's super likely that they're going to trade from 3 to 6, and then 6 to 8, and then 8 to 12, and then 12 to 19. And it's You're going to have to find a team that is going to be able to give you the most return on investment with... A single trade. So tankathon.com also has NFL draft power rankings, if you will, right? And what the power rankings are 
is it lists, according to the trade value chart, what teams their cumulative total number of picks have the most value, and it gives a list of what their picks are. So the teams that that are going to give you what you want, you're talking loading up between 18 and 50. Jacksonville has 25, 33, 45, 65, 97. Okay, that, that's their aside of the number one overall pick. The Jets have 23, 34, 66, 87, 98 in the top 100. So those are the teams that are really going to have the opportunity to give you multiple twos. The Jets and the Jaguars, and that's it. I think you can dial in if you want to expand it beyond, if you want to go top 75 instead of top 50, which I think is a reasonable expectation. You, know, you might be able to find a couple more dance partners here, but you know, beyond Jacksonville and New York, it's Atlanta, 435, 66, or 68. Philadelphia, 637, 70, 85. Cincinnati, 538, 69, 102. Detroit, 741, 72, 89. Carolina, 839, 73, 104. Denver, 940, 71, 105. Dallas, 1044, 70. So, like, where's your dance partner that's going to give you all of that in one fell swoop? And I think that's the challenge. I love the idea, but you're probably going to have to, you know, maybe make a big splash if you want to make this work. And maybe you love wide receivers like Rashad Bateman and Terrence Marshall, who we have not talked a lot about on this show, but we'll get to. So if you love those kinds of guys in like the tier 2A wide receivers, and I would say that they're in the same tier as Devontae Smith, having done cross-checks at TDN on all of these guys in the past couple of days, I think they're comparable players. I just think the opportunities that they had were drastically different to showcase themselves. Perhaps that's where you can get into, okay, you know, let's make the big splash with San Francisco. They love Justin Fields hypothetically. So we'll take Justin Fields, we'll trade back with San Francisco at 12, and San Francisco could give you 12, 43, 108, next year's one, next year's two to make a move. And then you would then subsequently trade back from 18 as well, and that's how you could get yourself into a position. You'd probably give 108 back on a trade out from 18 to help get a two with the trade back from 18. Football season may be over, but there are still plenty of opportunities for you to place your bets as a sports fan. NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and our friends at Bet Online are the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, and they even cover awards TV shows and reality television. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine can be found on the website, and Bet Online has you covered for all the news scores and odds that you need the best way to place your bets, plus it's free to sign up. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbooks experts, promo code locked on. Go Fins Go gave me a full off season. Let's go. Huge fan of the pod and built bars. All right, well, I got to do your question now. Here's what I think should happen in free agency plus a mock draft to go with it. Cuts, Jakeem Grant. Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson, Clayton Fejdelum, each one of those saving anywhere from $1.2 to $2.85 million against the cap. Trades, Eric Flowers plus a day three pick 
to get a late round pick back. That saves eight million to get the cap. So in total, those five moves save seventeen and a half or seventeen point oh five million dollars against salary cap. Okay, I'm with you so far. I like all those moves. Signings: Levante David, three years, forty million. Joe Thune, four years, fifty-seven million. Curtis Samuel, three years. 25 million, renegotiate with Xavier Howard, a three to five million, fill in the roster, whatever money is left. I think you're going to have to add a couple million to each and every one of these players, to be completely honest. So, for example, you gave Joe Thune 57 over four years with only $20 million guaranteed. So that's 14 and a quarter, which is below the rate for this year's franchise tag for offensive linemen. He played last year on the franchise tag. So I think this is this is probably a $16 million a year player. So add $2 million per year to what you had given him uh, to get a better accurate assessment. Levante David, three years, $40 million. So I'm not a huge math guy, but I can tell you that that's $13.3 million per year. You're probably going to have to add $2 million onto that as well, $15 million, because that's the franchise tag rate. And I don't think he's going to go anywhere to sign for, for less than that. And then Curtis Samuel, three-year, 25 mil. Again, not a math guy, but I can tell you that's $8.3 million per year. He's going to get between 10 and 12, depending on how hot the market gets. So I think you got to boost these a little bit. So maybe that maybe you do all those things, and then you don't renegotiate with Xavier Howard, and you play hardball with him. Uh, and then in your draft, you trade back from three to seven with Detroit. Let's make this, let's make this Carolina. Instead, I don't think Detroit's going to be super hot in the trade-up market. I think they're in the market of adding picks, not giving picks away. I don't think they would necessarily be in the market to move up from uh, eight or from seven to three to go get a quarterback, which would be the only motivating factor to make a move, in my opinion. So let's make this Carolina eight. I still think you can get Jalen Waddle at eight, who you took. You take Gregory Rousseau at 18, Javante Williams, the UNC running back at 36, Landon Dickerson at 40 with the extra two you picked up in the trade back with, let's call it Carolina. Rondale Moore at 50, the wide receiver from Purdue. Tyler Shelvin, you are a man after my heart. And then you use Chuba Hubbard at 123. <laughs> Give me another wide receiver at 123, but I like Waddle for this offense. He's my favorite wide receiver in the class. I like Gregory Rousseau, defensive end for Miami. I think he's a great hybrid fit for the Dolphins. Javante Williams, I think, is a great, quote-unquote, backup plan to Najee Harris from North Carolina. Landon Dickerson is my pound-the-table must-get for the Dolphins uh, as they continue to, to flesh out their offensive line on day two. Saw a video of him doing a box squat on one leg, by the way. Uh, turns out he's a freak athlete. Who knew? Rondale Moore, um, this is good value for Rondell Moore. I am a little apprehensive about Rondell Moore because uh, of durability questions. Uh, he's really struggled the last two years to stay healthy, and he's not a big dude. He's like 5'8", 180. So, like, he's dense. He's very dense. Uh, but durability hamstring issues have given him a really hard time. Tyler Shelvin, I love that fit. Nose tackle from LSU. I know I said wide receiver, but I changed my mind. I need a nickel corner. Give me a nickel corner at 123, and you're cooking with gas. Larry Odin did my first mock on TDN.com. Came up with this after a few trades. Pitts at 11, Tony at 18, Najee Harris at 23, 
Zayvon Collins at 39, Creed Humphrey at 42, Dwayne Eskridge at 74, Chaz Surratt, linebacker from North Carolina at 81. I like the fact that you really got some athleticism in this linebacker group. Um, Pitts plus Tony plus Eskridge plus Najee is a, a really fun infusion of talent. Uh, Pitts at 11, I think it's great value. Uh, I would want to know the specifics on where you got to these picks and traits. So you're going to have to follow up with me, Larry. But nice job, wheeling and dealing. I'm going to tie the next two together. Rye Rye Beatty and Tired of Trying to Find One. Uh, power to the Pod from Rye Rye. Uh, question, would you rather have 2021 and beyond Deshaun Watson or Tua plus Waddle plus Harris plus Asai? And then Tired of Trying to Find One. Love this podcast and Draft Dudes. Thank you for listening to both. Recent Draft Dudes episode about the Wentz trade, you seem to imply you had a little bit of inside info. Uh, yeah, we, we hear some things along the way. Uh, why is it, is this why you've stopped talking about the Watson trade? Or are you trying to avoid the wrath of some fans? Keep up the great work. So what I try to do on this show is I will visit a hypothetical. We will be thorough with it. And until it becomes more than a hypothetical, then I don't want to play that game, right? Because there's so much ground to cover with this team. And to sink a bunch of time and energy and, and attention into something that has a chance of happening, but I don't know how good the chance is. Uh, I definitely think the Dolphins are best positioned of all teams that would want to trade for Deshaun Watson to get Deshaun Watson. I think that Deshaun Watson definitely would love to come play in Miami, but we don't know what Houston's going to do. And until we get some more clarity on that, I, it, I just don't want to go through the hypothetical song and dance. But what I think would be interesting, and this is something that I've come across in, in thinking about this situation over the last couple of days, uh, Rai Rai, what if I told you there was a way you could do both? Because if Houston's going to be dumb, and there's a very real chance that happens, if Houston is going to be dumb and they keep Watson beyond the draft, but the Dolphins trade back from three, and they get a freaking haul for future picks, right? Because we've already gone through, there's not a lot of teams that are going to give you an upfront haul. Teams are going to have to pay you going into the future. There's a chance you could trade back from three to eight because Carolina wants to go get a quarterback because Houston's not going to move off of it. And you could get an extra one next year. You could probably get an extra two next year. You can get a one, an extra one and an extra two this year. So now you'd be going into 2022 with two ones and two twos as well. You could do the full draft this year, and if Deshaun calls their bluff and sits, and then they decide to trade him, it's a hypothetical that could still happen. They could still have the ammo after the draft if they trade back from three to make this happen if it becomes more than a hypothetical, but you could still draft Jalen Waddell and Najee Harris and Joseph Asai. So maybe we want to root for Houston to be dumb. Maybe you want to root for Houston to trade him to Carolina and be done with it. I'm not going to tell you how to feel. I'm not going to tell you what to think. But there is a pathway for Deshaun Watson becoming a Miami Dolphin. But there's also a pathway that Deshaun Watson becomes a Dolphin 
and the Dolphins are able to complete a full 2021 NFL draft first, depending on how Houston plays their cards and how Miami handles the number three pick. So it's just more food for thought. Once again, still on iTunes reviews. I got Twitter questions to get to. Uh, Alex, BW, Kyle, great show. How surprised would you be if Trevor Lawrence turns into a bust? Uh, what percentage would you put on it? I'm going to go between 10 and 20%. I think every NFL player has more than a 20% chance of being a bust because you haven't seen them play. We've seen the hit rate and what it is. It's about 55% in the first round turn out to be good NFL players. Um, I would say Trevor Lawrence has better than 55% chance of being a good player, but I will also say I was surprised watching their offense in depth to see how much of it was RPO schemed, uh, scheme screens, a lot of the kinds of reads that like we saw give to a little bit of hard time with his acclimation because they were very RPO heavy at Alabama. Saw some of the same things. So, you know, maybe Trevor Lawrence doesn't come in and set the rookie passing records that Justin uh, Herbert just set. But I think he has a very, very, very good chance of being a good NFL quarterback. Uh, Zem Licka, let's say Miami does the trade back and snags Waddle at 8. If Smith is still available with the Vikings pick at 14, would you advocate trading up? I think if you get two weapons in the first round, it's a win. I do think it would kind of go against the Dolphins' trends of moving up and giving up early draft capital because you'd have to give something reasonable up to go up. Uh, It's not a huge jump, so it might only be like an early day three pick. And if that's the case, then then yeah, let's let's go get both the wide receivers. Why not? And then you you hold on to 36, and you can get hopefully Javante Williams there, and you got two wide receivers in in Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, and then you get Javante Williams at 36, and we all go home happy. Uh, Javi T. Could Kyle Pitts eventually transition into a wide receiver? He's been watching his highlights, and the kid is incredible talent. Uh, yes, I think he can be a wide receiver, and I think his classification is going to be really a moot point. Uh, he's going to play all over the field. Florida put him on the backside, three by one on the line of scrimmage, let him beat press coverage. I thought he set up his slant routes better than Jamar Chase did in 2019 versus Pitts in 2020. So, uh, phenomenal talent, 6'5", 240, 6'6", 240. Uh, definitely checks the size boxes. Uh, he's going to run in the 4'5s in the 40, so at that size, uh, total mismatch. Yes, I'm on board with drafting him. It's it's just is how do you get him and Gasecki on the field at the same time uh, when you're going to need somebody to play with their hand in the dirt? Somebody's going to have to be wide receiver. Ish, any news on Preston Williams? Uh, I believe I saw a report that he is back to full health now that the season is over. It's been about two months, uh, so we should expect to see him back at full capacity in time for next season. Tito, I know you love Curtis Samuel, but why not save the money in free agency at draft Kadarius Tony and rather spend the money in a big-name wide receiver so we have a true number one? Um, I kind of think tr- like true over one... True number one wide receivers, a guy that you're going to give 140 targets a year to, isn't necessary. I think you can can do a really good job by committee if you get complementary talents. Uh, and for me personally, Tony in the first round, which is where you'd have to draft him to get him, is a bigger overspend than what it would cost to get Curtis Samuel. That's just my opinion on those two players. Puccio. By far, favorite podcast, six stars. Thank you. Hashtag Zach Hall of Fame 2020. 
agree with everything you said, to be completely honest. Trade alert, Miami gets 6, 37, 70, and a 2022 Philadelphia 2. Philadelphia gets a 2021 3. So this is kind of a hybrid of the Sam Darnold trade that happened. Of course, Philly does not have uh, three ones or three twos to give us, so they get two twos. One's a future two. You can charge a surcharge, and you get 70. Waddle or Smith at six. Pay Parsons, Rousseau, uh, a defensive player at 18. ETN or Javante Williams at 36. Dickerson, Eskridge, and Browning to round it out. It warms my heart to see so many of you coming back with the same players who I know are good scheme fits for the Dolphins. And that's exactly what Waddle, Smith, Pay, Parsons, Rousseau, Javante Williams, Dickerson, Eskridge. Uh, I think Etienne can be a fit with the Dolphins, yeah. The only thing I'll say here is I think Baron Browning is gone uh, well before 70 uh, based on his athletic profile and what he did at Senior Bowl. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for your classic or daily driver and looking for engine control modules, new carpet, taillights, motor oil, you name it, RockAuto.com in one easy-to-navigate catalog can send anything you need directly to your front door with just a few clicks of a button. Best of all, prices are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same part? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Another mock draft. Jared Shepard, I want to give him a shout-out. You made me activate my Twitter again so interact as much as possible. First of all, I'm sorry I made you reactivate Twitter. <laughs> uh, but because I've put you through the pain and suffering of uh, the Twitter experience, yes, I will grade your mock draft. Penny Sewell at 3, Najee Harris at 18, Christian Barmore, defensive tackle from Alabama at 36, Elijah Moore, wide receiver from Ole Miss at 50. Wide receiver Amari Rogers from Clemson at 81. And defensive end Cameron Sample at 123. Sample's a great fit for the Dolphins. Uh, hybrid type player. He's 280, 285. Can play in the B gap. Can play outside of eye on offensive tackles. So you're going to get some multiplicity to play different gaps and different alignments. Kick him down inside a little bit. Showed some good quickness. Penny Sewell, I think if they stay at three, is the best option. I'm not going to pound the table for this choice to be the one that's made. Uh, but if you're going to stay at three, you might as well take a premium, high-value position and take the best player available. Penny Sewell is both of those things. So I think that's a nice job. Najee Harris at 18, I don't love the value, but I get the value. I would like this more if you took a pressure player at 18 and then took either Harris if he was there in the simulator or took Javante Williams at 36. Uh, Christian Barmore is a little bit more of, I know he plays in the Alabama front. I see him as a little bit more of a three technique, uh, which is the, the Dolphins really don't run a lot of true gap penetration, uh, three technique, gap shooter, get up the field, attack the mesh point style up front. Um, so I'm not super smitten on that. I think he's multiple enough to be able to play the Dolphins system. And we will need somebody to replace Devon Gotcha on the right rotation. 
but I don't necessarily love that fit of Barmore with the Dolphins. But both these wide receivers, Elijah Moore and Amari Rodgers, I think are sensible fits. Uh, I think they both win after the catch. Elijah Moore is a burner down the field. Uh, so I like what you did with those two wide receiver picks to find value on day two at the wide receiver position. All right, Hoyt. I see you. Hoyt Hans Vandermarl. Please tell me if I'm saying your name correctly. I want to make sure I give you uh, that courtesy. But not that I've made significant overtures at getting a question read on Power of the Pod. The attempts I've made have gone unnoticed. Unnoticed no longer. I've stepped up my game with a screenshot of a TDM premium enrollment. Shout out to you for making the jump. We thank you. Make sure you dig into the scouting reports. Make sure you check your email for your confirmation. You get into the TDM Premium Slack, in which you can talk with us. There's a ton of Dolphins fans in there. It's a really good time. Uh, also, you can conduct the trades with the TDM Mock Draft Simulator, and we have some other goodies coming down the road that you'll find out about in the near enough future. All right, so you sent a question for Power to the Pod. What is your eval of Tua now versus this time last year? Do you think less or more of his potential as a franchise quarterback going forward, assuming the Dolphins stick with him? What is the blueprint to ensure his success? I don't think a nine-game sample size is enough to bring me off of my evaluation of him from before the draft. Uh, I'm a little surprised that it seemed at times like the speed of the game was a little overwhelming to him. I'm a little surprised because he was so willing in Alabama to take some tight window throws, and he was very accurate with doing them. I'm a little surprised that the anticipation and the willingness to throw those was not as clean of a transition as maybe I would have anticipated. Now, that I think can be attributed to a lot of different factors, coaching, the point of emphasis, don't turn the ball over. That's a huge point of emphasis for the Dolphins. They were in a playoff push. You're no longer boat racing teams uh, most weeks, 45-7 to 7 or 13. Uh, so I think the conditions were kind of, you're in the big leagues, and Tua wanted to ensure he didn't hurt his football team. Now, he's going to have to find a way to walk the tightrope a little bit cleaner. Uh, I'd like to see him get through some of his progressions more cleanly. Uh, I know that that was an issue uh, where there's sometimes where he sees receivers as designed as an early progression. This was the case um, both against Denver and the Raiders or two games that I could think of a good examples where the primary read is open. It's available. There's space to throw the ball and he didn't throw the ball because he wasn't comfortable with it. So, and again, he'll be the first to tell you he did the whole media tour at the Super Bowl when he said, he was the first to say, I did not play up to my standard and expectations in 2020. What's the blueprint to get him success? I, I think they really have to overhaul the wide receiver room in its entirety. And I think you need a slew of players who can do a lot and can be multiple and can win in different ways. So I'm not sure we're going to get that. I think they might continue to, to covet uh, big body boundary wide receivers and kind of jackknife players that can do a lot of different things and work in the slot uh, and then have a couple of specialists. I'd like to see a room that's more filled. Look at what the Rams have. Look at what the 49ers have. They have a bunch of guys like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayoade, right? Like those are two multi-tool dynamic wide receivers 
and they can line up anywhere and they can do anything. I'd like to see a couple of those types of players, and that's why I really like Curtis Samuel. I think that's that's the first step in this process, and then getting a running game that can be more reliable uh, to convert third downs when you need to move the chains. Adam with a great question. What are the qualities needed in an owner, GM, and head coach to have long-term, consistent quality success like the Patriots, Steelers, and Packers have had? I think it starts at the top. Uh, I would like to think Stephen Ross has earned some hard, learned some hard lessons from the first decade of being an NFL owner. Um, but you have to have an owner who's willing to provide stability and who's willing to know what he doesn't know and stay out of the way. And that was a problem for Stephen Ross early on. Uh, had how, too many direct reports. And what that ultimately led to was too many cooks in the kitchen. They start combating one another. They're no longer rowing in the same direction because they're fighting each other for job security. It's a mess. So I think that's the number one thing. I think Ross has done better. I think when he did the franchise realignment at the top from an organizational perspective, uh, Chris Greer runs football ops. And then from there, Chris Greer can worry about collaboration with his head coach. And the head coach can worry about collaboration with his assistant coaches. I think that really helped clean a lot of the things up that were problematic for the Dolphins for so long, in which you have Jeff Ireland and Tony Sperano, and then Sperano's fired, and Ireland survives, and then Joe Philbin comes in, and Joe Philbin teams up with Donna Ponte, and they get Jeff Ireland fired, and then you can't find a GM, so Dennis Hickey's the GM for a year. And then you fire Joe Philbin, and then you promote Chris Greer, but you you have Tannenbaum who comes effectively and over the top of him at the same time. So you got a GM who runs football ops, but only certain portions of football ops. And Tannenbaum's in control of the cap, and Gase is in control of the 53. It, it's a mess. It's a it's a hot freaking mess. So I think what they've done from that perspective will really really help. Uh, what you need now is patience. Uh, you need patience, and you need trust in your f- football personnel and you need understanding that not every move you make is going to hit not every move you make is going to boom but that's why i think the messaging for the dolphins is important when they talk about their objective every day every week every month every off season is to improve and get better and i think even if the dolphins have a win regression next year which i'm gonna hope is not the case but even if that's the case I think you can see a clear path in which the Dolphins as a team are a better, more talented team, and not just because the bar started so low with the teardown in 2019. That was necessary because of the cap mismanagement that the Dolphins had. And that, again, was a byproduct of the pressure to win and the lack of job security. So it all comes down from long-term stability and patience and foresight. And I think Stephen Ross learned some of those lessons do I think he's all the way there? Probably not. I think he probably still has his hands in some of the decisions uh, that the team makes from a football perspective. But I think he's a lot better than what he was. Bob, my guy, I'm glad you asked this one. Listening to the Xavier Howard pod yesterday and thought, what are the odds that Brandon Jones replaces Bobby McCain at safety, put Igbo in his corner spot, use a couple million of savings from McCain to appease Xavier Howard, I know that's a lot of money towards safety, but dot, dot, dot. Here's the problem with this. The Dolphins have a spending imbalance on their roster. They're second in the NFL as things currently stand 
with $52 million of their 2021 salary cap committed to just the secondary. Just the secondary. Now, we're expecting the cap to come in somewhere around $180, $185 million. So you're talking over a quarter of your salary cap in just the secondary before you do a restructure. And if you move Byron Jones, which that would be an outrageous amount of money to play Byron Jones and play him at safety, even though he can do it because he did it in Dallas for two years. So you're going to pay an egregious amount for a free safety, like $3 million market resetting value at safety for a guy that you signed to play outside corner, which is a more valuable position. And Byron really doesn't have the ball skills to play free safety to the degree in which the Dolphins want anyway. And you're going to move Igbenogany to outside corner. We're not going to address the nickel in this situation. And I know other people have asked this question. Just move Bobby McCain back to nickel and move Byron Jones and then put Igbo and, and the whole thing solved. And then you can appease Xavier Howard. Their splits for spending in the secondary, and I understand this is the identity of this team and it's the identity of the defense, and it's going to be higher than your average NFL team. Uh, they're $2 million behind the Titans for the number one spot in the NFL. And I think there's three other teams in the NFL that spend more than within $10 million of what the Dolphins are spending in the secondary. And we want to add $6-plus six, six million to that per year to appease Xavier Howard? I mean, we're, we're talking almost $60 million in the secondary. That, that would be a third of your salary cap. I can't do it. Because all you'd be doing is if you get rid of Bobby McCain and use the savings, uh, you're pushing with the money, but you're getting worse at two spots because Byron Jones, you know, I think he's, he's a better raw athlete than Bobby McCain, but he hasn't played corner or safety in several years, so there's going to be growing pains to transition him. You're effectively doing the same thing you did with Bobby McCain, but instead of playing, paying him 6 or $7 million a year, you're paying him three times that much. I can't get on board with it. I, I think they got to get some cheaper talent, uh, whether that's Igbenogany. I think they're going to have to make some tough decisions in the safety room. And if you go that route, you're either going to have to – Hold firm on Xavier Howard, or I don't know what. Get a rookie, I don't know. But I don't think spending a third of your cap in the secondary alone with the needs that you have on the offensive side of the ball uh, is a particularly sustainable model for Miami. David, after watching and charting the Dolphins during the season, would you say that two is reading the coverages correctly? Not all the time. Um, it really jumps out at you where there's times where there's nobody open. It's just an unfortunate reality of the guys that they were working with at the end of the year. Uh, but yeah, I thought there were times in which, which Tua either read it incorrectly or saw it but hesitated and then the window was closed. And uh, I think that he'll get more confidence with more reps, right? But no, I, di I didn't sit here and come out of games and consistently say he was precise and crisp and, and accurate with all of his reads and progressions and getting through and finding the proper receiver to throw the ball to in on time. And that's a big part of it too. We are way over today. I'm going to get just a couple more and then we'll revisit again at the end of the week. Plus we'll get some written content out of some of your questions over at Dolphins Wire. Non-football take. Obligatory. Have to include it. Dan, but now dad. Power rank the following breakfast sandwiches. Bagel, English muffin, croissant, regular bread. Can we just throw regular bread in the trash? 
Uh, English muffin is three for me. Bagel is two, unless it's an egg bagel. I have an irrational love for egg bagel or pumpernickel. And then the croissant will be one. I don't know if that's the order you were expecting. I don't know if I disappointed a bunch of you with that. If I did, I'm sorry. I tried my best. Ocean Jackson wants a ideal starting 11 on offense next season, one with Tua and one with Deshaun Watson. This is a great show concept. It's one we will do, but it is a show concept, not a uh, 30-second elevator pitch uh, here at the end of Power to the Pod this week. Since he's coming off injury, would Marlon Mack be a good fit as a one-year prove-it add to the running back room? <sighs> yeah, I think he's he's a reasonable risk to take, especially financially speaking. Uh, but my expectations would be low that you're going to get a 100% version of him. And then it's, it's really not helping Miami a whole lot other than getting him in the room and hoping that he likes what you're building and he can be back in 2022 for when he's closer to... Uh, full health as a player. Last one today. Chris, interesting question. How can Brian Flores say that he believes in competition if Ryan Pet- Fitzpatrick doesn't come back for another season? Power to the pot. I think with the way they handled the quarterback position this past year, um, it's made it very unsustainable to bring Fitzpatrick back without the locker room materializing some of the concerns that everybody was worried about their being when they first made the change. Does that mean I endorse completely unquestioned to a tongue of Aloha is the only capable NFL starting quarterback and Reed it's your backup in 2021? No, I think you need to have a veteran backup in place, but you cannot have the guy who was the incumbent starter from the year before back in year three as you're trying to transition, especially when Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be, what, 38, 39 years old? It's, you're delaying the inevitable, and if you promote competition, and Tua, like, all of the reasons that people wanted Tua to start in 2020, like, now that he's had a chance to start a couple of games, I don't think you can go back. Um... I don't think it's avoiding competition. Now, if the Dolphins don't do anything with the backup spot, I'll be pretty pissed, right? Because at the very least, Tua has some durability questions that you should plan for heaven forbid he misses a couple of games, gets banged up along the way, just because he hasn't really proven he could stay healthy for 16 games yet at the NFL level. So I I don't think a rookie quarterback is the ideal course for the Dolphins. I do think a veteran backup of some kind makes a ton of sense and is necessary for this team. But bringing back Fitz or or any high-profile quarterback to quote-unquote compete or back up with Tua, the Dolphins made their choice, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast when you declare a franchise quarterback. And I think there's other ways that you can get him competition without bringing back the guy who served as your bullpen pitcher for a couple of games last year and was the incumbent from the year before that, because it's kind of just a dead end as far as Fitz's longevity. I think it'd be different if he was like in his prime or had some life left in him as far as a long-term feasibility of being an asset to the team. But his presence, I think, would detract more than what it would complement if the Dolphins are going to be committed to Tua and try and finalize this transition. 
That's going to do it for us today on the show, a rock-solid 40-, 50-minute podcast. I hope you guys got your Dolphins fix for the day. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. we got three more shows this week, so hit subscribe on the podcast. Ride with us all off-season long. We'll take you right up to training camp. We'll take you through training camp. We'll take you through the season, hopefully do a Dolphin Super Bowl. So hit subscribe. Make sure you don't miss the ride. Kyle Krabs, keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll talk with you guys tomorrow.